Well, good morning. morning. Welcome to the Blue Lake Presbyterian Church, and thank you all for coming out this morning. Uh, Our message this morning is titled, Overwhelmed, and it's based on 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 through 17, and we'll be reading that in a little bit. Well, every day around the farm, I, I go for a walk. You know, be it in Oxnard or Arcana or Willow Creek, but I walk to the farm every day. Checking on crops and, and talking to, to the team. And one of our team members shared with me a joke the other day of a fellow named Joe. And Joe finds himself in financial trouble. He's about to lose his house. And he's so desperate, he asks God for help. So he prays, God, please help me. I'm in trouble. If I don't get some money, I may need to move out of my house. Please let me win the lottery. So lottery night comes, nothing happens. So Joe prays again. God, please let me win the lottery. I'm overwhelmed with all these problems. House payment, credit card payments. Again, lottery night comes. Joe still has no luck. Once again he prays. My God, the water is standing up to my neck. I don't ask for help very often. But please, give me a break. Just let me win the lottery this one time. So I can get things back in order. Well, suddenly there is a blinding flash coming out of the sky. And there is the voice of God. Joe, please give me a break. Meet me halfway. At least buy a lottery ticket. (laughs) This week, I did an uh, unscientific poll and asked some folks, What came to mind when hearing the word overwhelmed? And some people answered being overwhelmed with financial problems. Another one said being overwhelmed with health issues. And then yet another one said being overwhelmed with teenagers. Every one of these answered, centered around being overwhelmed by something with a negative connotation. Now, this is not surprising. In today's fast-paced society, with demands coming from every which direction, you grab your phone, and what will you find? A, 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 an, an onslaught of emails. Or text messages. Or posts by others on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Turn on the radio or television and we are overwhelmed with the 24-hour news cycle. A Pew Research poll conducted last year revealed that 68% of Americans feel overwhelmed by the amount of news that comes their way. And according to the American Psychological Association, 
most Americans feel stressed. And in a survey they found that chronic stress is becoming a national public health crisis. Then the Harris Interactive conducted an online survey and found that most Americans are overwhelmed and suffering from medium to high stress. Concerns about money, work, and the economy top the list of most frequently cited sources of stress. Fears about job stability are on the rise, with 49% of respondents citing being overwhelmed by fear as a source of stress. Or a stressed-out King David wrote 3,000 years ago in Psalm 55.5, Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. Water and the fear of water can be overwhelming as well. The Egyptian army was overwhelmed by water in the Red Sea when they were pursuing the Israelites in the Exodus from Egypt. And in Psalm 78, 53, the psalmist wrote, the sea overwhelmed their enemies. Well, being overwhelmed by water has always been a fear of mine. I'm not sure if it has anything to do with the fact that I fell in that manure tank on a young age uh, growing up in Holland. I talked about that last year in a sermon called Second Chance. And swimming lessons, for me, were not a very enjoyable experience. It took a long time before I finally got my swimming certificate. And I remember one particular time, one particular swimming lesson, when for the first time we were going to jump in the deep end of the pool. My jumping spot was right at the edge there, right in the corner. And when I was just about ready to make that jump, at the last second, I changed my mind. Not very smart. And I, attempt, I attempted to leap just to the other edge. But that edge had this anti-slip concrete edge. Making the leap didn't work. I ended up in the water anyway. But in the process, I scraped the whole top end of my body on that rough concrete edge. Blood everywhere. What a mess. Years later, I attempted to learn to water ski. Not much fun being drugged by a boat trying to get you up out of the water while being submerged and overwhelmed with water all around you. Now Paul, in his first letter to Timothy, describes a completely different type of being overwhelmed. It was a phenomenon that was so fascinating, life-changing, captivating, and so powerful that Paul describes this as overflowing grace. 
It was a miracle that became the tipping point in the life of Paul. And in the introduction to this letter to Timothy, Paul uses this life-changing event as the catalyst to providing instructions to Timothy, his pupil. This letter is still used today as a blueprint for ministry. Now this letter can be found on page 208, second part of your Bible. And I'll give you a moment to to pull it up. But before reading the Word of God, let's please bow down our heads. Guide us, O God, by your Word and Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find wisdom, and in your will discover your peace, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So 1 Timothy 1, verse 12 through 17, page 208. I am grateful to Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me, because he judged me faithful and appointed me to service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a man of violence, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But for that very reason, I received mercy so that in me, as foremost, Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience, making me an example to those who would come to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of ages, immortal and visible, the only God, be God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul wrote this letter while he was in Macedonia, around the year 62 AD, while he was on his fourth missionary journey. Timothy had traveled with Paul and had worked with Paul for about 10 years. And he had been personally trained by Paul. But now Timothy is on his own. He is in Ephesus, where he is ministering a community of believers. This was his first job as a church leader. And he was uneasy and nervous and overwhelmed by the responsibility. But Paul, in this letter, prefaced his advice, his encouragement, and his coaching with explaining how an event that took place three decades earlier, on his way to Damascus, changed Paul's life. This miracle that preceded Paul's conversion is described in the book of Acts on three different occasions, in Acts 9, Acts 22, and Acts 26. 
But Paul's conversion was the ultimate springboard, taking the gospel to the Gentiles, to the ends of the earth. The importance of Paul's conversion, his turnaround from persecuting Jesus to preaching Jesus, cannot be underestimated. In Paul's letters, he refers to his own conversion only sparingly. He explains this as the resurrection appearance of Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15. And to the Galatians he, he wrote, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. In Galatians 1.11. But even though he does not describe in great detail in the letter of Timothy what happened, he alludes to it in verse 13 using a few key words. Formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and violence. But then after the event, he used the key words an overwhelming mercy, grace, faith, and love. Prior to his conversion, Paul was called Saul. He was a persecutor. He is the one who sanctioned the stoning of Stephen, as we can find in Acts 8. Paul was a Pharisee, a member of the ruling class. And in Philippians 3, he describes himself as from Jewish heritage, from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And in verse 13, he said, formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a man of violence. But this Christian killer, the same person who was vehemently opposed to anyone believing in the redeeming grace of Jesus Christ, this very same person, this unlikely fellow, had a transformation so powerful that it was a light being turned on. In his letter to Timothy, Paul writes, But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So from that point forward, Paul becomes one of the most fervent evangelists with a passion for souls. He set out on four missionary journeys to reach anyone willing to listen. Are people listening today? There are many opportunities to spread the good news message, particularly right here on the North Coast. Someone told me the other day that in Humboldt County, 80% of the people claim no religious affiliation. This seems like a troubling statistic. And it's true. But at the same time, 
It is a golden opportunity, but also an obligation for you and me to reach out to our neighbors and spread the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news message that even a sinner like Paul, who killed early believers, could be converted and receive the grace of Jesus Christ. Well, let me illustrate the power of grace with a very personal story. Most people may think of me as this straight guy who doesn't smoke or gamble, hardly drinks, and goes to church every Sunday. Well, let me tell you, that wasn't always the case. And although I'm raised in a Christian family, I stopped going to church in my late teens. Instead, with a group of friends, we would go out on Saturday nights and drink lots of beer till the early hours of the morning. And Sunday mornings meant sleeping in till noon or 1 p.m. Then I moved to the United States in 1983. I had flown from the nest and now had lots of freedom. But ironically, I felt a hunger and thirst of the soul. Fifteen years ago, this overwhelming hunger and search for peace brought me back to the faith. With our children, Tony and Sarah, we started attending church. That faith journey has taken me on a fascinating ride, searching the truth and a hunger to explore the Bible with its rich history and the powerful message of the gospel. John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, saw his share of emptiness and darkness. At age 11, he went to sea. He sailed six voyages before he was pressed into the Royal Navy. At one point, he tried to desert and was punished in front of the crew of 350 sailors. Now, following that disgrace and humiliation, he contemplated killing the captain and jumping overboard by essentially committing suicide. He later transferred to a slave ship, and then he got involved in the slave trade. But this headstrong kid did not get along with anyone else in the crew. So they left him in West Africa with a slave dealer. He then was abused and mistreated, just as the other slaves. But he was rescued. But on the voyage back to England, the ship encountered a severe storm and almost sank. As the ship filled with water, John Newton called out to God. At that moment, the cargo shifted and plugged the hole. 
and the ship drifted ashore safely. Newton marked that particular instance, that particular experience, as the beginning of his conversion. <clears throat> he began to read the Bible and made a point of avoiding profanity, gambling, and drinking. He became an ordained evangelical Anglican cleric. Newton eventually became a prominent supporter to end slave trade. And he helped to see that England abolished slavery in 1807. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Months ago, someone gave me a book to read, and it was titled The Book of Mysteries, a story for each day of the year by Jonathan Kahn. It had been laying on, the sh- on my bookshelf for several months, and Friday night, I picked this book up and started perusing through, through it. Well, partly as in preparation of this message. But my eyes fell on a page. There's a story called Seeing the Colors of Heaven. And it was partially based on 1 Timothy 1.15. But as I went to bed, I kept pondering the question. Who is this Jonathan Kahn fellow? I had never heard of this guy before. So the next morning I wake up, got some breakfast, and in hopes of getting some inspiration and content for today's message, I turned on the television to the TBN channel, and I couldn't believe my eyes. I've never heard of this fellow before, and right there they were doing an interview with Jewish Bible, or Messianic Jewish Bible scholar. Jonathan Kahn. The story in that book was about a garden with beautiful flowers in all different colors. But looking at that that garden through red-colored glasses, all you can see is red. You cannot see the beautiful colors in that garden. Or so it is with life. If we take things for granted, we miss out on the beauty in front of us. If we take all the good things for granted, we blind ourselves from seeing them. All we see is what is not good, the wrong, the imperfect, the dark. If we accept life as it comes, with all its imperfections, with the possibility of judgment and periods of darkness, then instead, the opposite will happen. And our heart will start seeing the good and every blessing. Everything will become a gift of God. And every moment 
will be, we will be overwhelmed by the manifestation of His overflowing grace. That was the epitome of Paul. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul describes his suffering, including being bitten, beaten, whipped, stoned, shipwrecked, gone days without sleep, food, water, or clothes. But throughout it all, Paul saw the grace and glory of Jesus Christ. Well, for the last several years, we have been growing this crop at Sun Valley called Butterfly Ranunculus. And one of the varieties of that Butterfly Ranunculus is called Cheris. Well, I didn't know that till just a few days ago. But Cheris is the Greek word for grace. Cheris is a variety with countless beautiful orange flowers. From now on forward, every time I see this variety, I will think of the abundance of flowers of cherries as the overflowing grace that Paul talks about in his letter to Timothy. In a little bit, we will be singing, I have peace like a river. Now for a moment, think of a river. So peaceful that the grace of God is omnipresent. I got peace like a river in my soul. Peace from overflowing grace. Like a river of fresh water in a hot, arid land. In the hot, arid land of our tumultuous daily lives. I got joy like a fountain. Let that joy of the overflowing fountain overwhelm us with the love and grace of Jesus. Now you may ask, how do I get this love and grace in my heart and soul? Well, here's the answer. Say this simple prayer. Jesus, come into my life. I will repent of my sins. I want to trust and follow you. And I want to accept you as Lord and Savior. Friends, no matter how overwhelming the arts may appear. Jesus will guide us through the jungle of life. He will lead us through that narrow gate into his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the promise of eternal life. Thank you. God bless you. Amen.